Welcome to the Land of Goshen podcast. This is where you can hear the latest sermons from Goshen Presbyterian Church in Belmont, North Carolina, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. For more information on Goshen Presbyterian Church, please visit GoshenPCA.com. That's GoshenPCA.com. Our reading this morning is 2 Samuel chapter 8. 2 Samuel chapter 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Now it came about after, or it came about that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. He defeated Moab and measured them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put to death and one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Then David defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rahab, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his rule at the river. David captured from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung the chariot horses, but reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 Arameans. Then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. David took the shields of gold which were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. From Beta and from Berothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a very large amount of bronze. Now when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, Toy sent Joram his son to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. King David also dedicated these to the Lord with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Aram and Moab and the sons of Ammon and the Philistines and Amalek and from the spoil of Hadadezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah. So David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons in Edom. In all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became servants to David. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilad, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests, and Sariah was secretary. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. Have you ever heard the phrase or the word kingmaker? Does anyone know what that is, a kingmaker? Uh, it comes from, I believe, Warwick the kingmaker, who was a figure in English history, who was known for raising up and putting down various kings, depending on who was supporting him at the moment. Today, a kingmaker is someone who doesn't actually run things day to day. They're not the one you go to for day-to-day -day operations of an organization or a group. However, they are the one with the most influence and power. 
So they're the boss, they just don't want to be the boss. So instead, what they do is they appoint the person who's going to be the boss. It's like, okay, I don't want to run the day-to-day affairs, but you'll do what I want you to do. You be president. You be king. You be supervisor. You take charge, and then if you do something I don't like, I'll just get rid of you. The kingmaker is essentially the boss behind the boss, the overboss. In this passage, we are hearing about the overboss of Israel, the overlord, the king behind the king. Because what we're learning about in this passage is that the Lord has established his anointed one, or to put it in the Greek, the Lord has established his Christ. The Lord has established his Christ. We see first the Lord has established his Christ by his power. Because you see, the point of this passage is not to show us how successful David was or what a mighty warrior he was. This is not here to tell you what a great guy David was and how we should all look up to David. No. The author has a different message and he very helpfully tells us exactly what that message is by repeating it twice. In Hebrew, if anything is repeated, pay close attention. That's true even in English. When people give speeches, if you hear a repeated phrase, you know that seems to be the real point. What is said twice here? And the Lord helped David wherever he went. The Lord helped David wherever he went. It is Yahweh, the Lord, who is mighty. He has chosen his servant and established him by his power. We have to notice here this Lord is in the all capital letters, which indicates it is actually the personal name of God, which out of respect has for over 2,000 years been read as Lord. But in actual fact, it was something close to Yahweh, that great statement he made to Moses, I am what I am. By this name you shall know me. We are being told that God, the covenant God of Israel, the true living personal God, has chosen David, is helping him, and is establishing him to be the king of Israel. David enjoyed a measure of God's power. It was a lot. He did some stupendous things. But Jesus enjoys the power of God without any limitations. It is all at his disposal. Think about what Jesus did. He healed the sick. Which is easier, to conquer a nation or heal the sick? Obviously, it's easier to conquer a nation. How long have we been looking for cures for diseases? We still can't cure cancer. We still can't cure the common cold. We still don't have a cure for HIV or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. But we have conquered nations again and again and again. I know, I used to teach history. Pretty much all you teach is, then this group did these accomplishments and they got conquered. And then the group that conquered them had these accomplishments and they got conquered. We've been doing that forever. That's easy. Healing the sick, that's a miracle. Raising the dead, we can't do that. 
We still can't do that. We cannot make a dead thing live, and we cannot bring life from non-life. Those are scientific facts. But God, who is the author of life, is bigger than the rules of the universe he established. If he wants a dead person to live again, he just makes them live again. After all, he's the one who made them live in the first place. This is not an obstacle. Christ could turn back troops by his very glory. Do you remember that incident in the garden? Who do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. And in your English Bibles, it says, I am he. He didn't actually say the word he. If you've got a New American Standard, a King James, or a New King James, the word he is in italics, which indicates it's not in the original Greek. What he actually said was, ego ami. I am. Now, gee, where did we just hear a reference to I am? Whose name is simply I am? God. And when he looked at them and said, I am, we are told they staggered back and fell down and had to stand back up again. Just by uttering his name out of his mouth, he turned back those who sought them and had to wait on them to get back up so they could arrest him. Because he had to go and die. He could have called on all the powers of heaven had he wished. In Matthew 26, 53, Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus wanted them to know, you have not beaten me. You have not beaten me. I could beat you. I could walk away from this right now. I could speak and you would not exist. But I'm going with you anyway. God established David as an anointed one by a measure of his power, but God has established Jesus as the Christ by his limitless power. This power reflects God's favor. David enjoyed God's favor by God's gracious covenant, but Jesus has God's favor as God's eternal son and as the one who has actually earned, merited the favor of God by his perfect life. God graciously bestowed favor upon David. Jesus deserves it. He has pleased the Lord perfectly. And that favor is His. Jesus has God's infinite favor by right, not a gracious grant. And because His merit is His and can never be taken away from Him, it can never be taken away from you when He graciously gives it to you through faith. If you come to Christ and believe in Him and He gives you that salvation, if He gives you that favor with God that He has earned, He's not taking it back. And God can't take it away from Him to take it back from you. So if you believe in Christ, your position is unshakable. John eleven twenty five to 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. 
Do you believe this? Not even the power of death itself can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. God's power at work in Jesus assures us that he is our sure foundation for life and for eternity. And this power of God is displayed in the victory of Christ. You see, the Lord has established his Christ over his enemies. David subdued the nations which surrounded Israel and had been oppressing God's people. All of these nations had been a thorn in Israel's side. They had been troubling the people of God, and now these nations were forced to serve Israel instead, and David held sway over them. He has garrisons in Edom. He controls the great city of the Philistines, their capital. Nations are bringing tribute to him. Mighty nations attack him. He takes all their chariot horses and he gives them enough horses for a hundred chariots back. You may be thinking, why would he do that? Why not just wipe them out? Power. Sends a message. You have an army because I let you have an army. You can defend yourself from attack because I decided to let you defend yourself from attack. You try to raise yourself up against me instead, and I will put you back down. You do not mess with me. Jesus has come into this rebel world. He stood before both Jew and Gentile, and he suffered all that their power could accomplish, namely torture, death, and slander. What a different picture. David faces the world and he conquers. He's the one doing the killing. He literally takes the Moabites and makes lines and says, all right, kill that line, kill that line, that line lives. Kill that line, kill that line, that line lives. That's the level of power God gave him. Jesus comes and he's tortured, arrested, stripped naked, nailed to a cross, and raised up in that accursed position between heaven and earth to die publicly. But his torture brought healing to his people. By his stripes we are healed. His death freed us from the curse of sin, and he has risen from the dead, that we may have new life in him. And his truth has overcome all slander. What to the world looked like utter defeat was in fact the moment of greatest victory. David could beat armies. Jesus could overcome sin. Jesus could overcome the sin, the guilt of sin, the fact that we have earned God's wrath. He could overcome the sin that indwells your heart, not just your actions, but that sinful nature that wants to rebel against God, that desires to rebel against God. A lot of people find it hard to believe that we are sinners. Allow me to take it a step farther. It is not going too far to say that your nature is tainted and is in fact sin. 
Because you fall short of what you ought to be. You have fallen short of God's glory. We were made in God's image and we have been twisted, corrupted. And that corruption itself is sin. All right, maybe saying you are sin's a little too far, but your corruption certainly is. We are sinners by nature and Jesus defeated that. Every therapist, philosopher, social programmer, they've all been trying to make people better and they failed. Jesus can make us completely and utterly new. Completely and utterly new. And all those who opposed Christ now see him reigning on high over them, moving all things to the furtherance of his kingdom. Because remember, it is Christ who sustains all things by the word of his power, and he moves everything for the good of his kingdom and his people. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Wherever God's people are persecuted, we see Jesus giving them blessing and liberty. I was reading an article the other day about something uh, going through Congress that would basically make it impossible for religious people to take a stand on certain issues. There's a law that says we're exempt from certain things in society that we can discriminate in ways that other people can't. For instance, this is a church. We can make it a rule that to be a pastor here, you have to actually believe what we teach. Other businesses can't do that. You can't say, well, you have to agree to a certain set of religious principles. But because we're a religion, we can. Congress is trying to take that away in certain areas. You know what? Fine. Try it. Try it. Start persecuting us. Start trying to penalize us for teaching what we believe, for telling people about Jesus Christ. Go right ahead. Because I have bad news for you. The moment you do that, can I put something in just anthropomorphic language? Well, Jesus is a human, so it's not really anthropomorphic. Jesus will get ticked. You start challenging him that directly. You try to box with the Lord and you'll find out how short your arms are. If you want to destroy the gospel, <laughs> we'll just grow. The minute you unsheath your sword and strike at Christ, he will crush you. And you will see revival like you dreaded. Because the Lord takes note of his people's suffering. So go ahead. Try it. It's not a good idea for you, but it'll be great for us. People forget that. That Jesus gives his people blessing and liberty. Wherever the world rises up to cast off Christ, he judges them. And the world finds itself defanged and declawed. Because Jesus is king and no power on earth can ever overcome that fact. No power. 
can overcome the fact that Jesus Christ is king. Nor should they want to, since Jesus has come to save and bless. Because you see, the Lord has established Christ as a blessing to the world. Notice the extent of David's work wasn't limited to Israel. David's victory gave relief to the king of Hamath as well, who was oppressed by Hadadezer. And thus David was honored by those outside the people of God. We see a pagan king honoring and blessing David because he had been benefited by David's rule. Jesus has done good for the entire world. You know, the world often forgets that what they enjoy today, what they believe today, is not their own invention. It is from Christ. What is the most important thing in the whole universe? If you ask someone that today, what is the answer they'll give? Love, right? Isn't that what people talk about all the time today? Love, we should be loving people. Love is the answer to everything. Love will overcome. Where did they get that idea? Is that in the ancient pagans that are so well respected today? Is that from the philosophers? No! You study the ancient literature, you will find nowhere that love is put on such a pedestal. Reason, yes. Order, yes. Numbers even. Sure, Pythagoras seemed to worship numbers. You'll find everything put on a pedestal, but no one says love is the fulfillment of everything. Duty, maybe. Order, maybe, but not love. So where did they get that idea? What are the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. It's right out of the New Testament. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ. Everything people enjoy today, the idea of human dignity, that came from the idea that we're made in the image of God. The idea of equality. In Christ there is no male nor female. Jew nor Greek. Slave nor free. It's right out of the New Testament. You begin to examine everything the Western world prides itself on and you find out they got it from an Eastern Jewish carpenter who just happened to be God Almighty walking in the flesh. That's where we got it from. We did not invent these things. We received them by faith. The world has been benefited. And because of that, the world very often will pay homage to Jesus. They won't serve him. They won't submit to him. But they have to give him the nod and go, yes, you did teach us these things. Yes, we received them from you. Yes, we are indebted to you. But here's the thing, why stop there? If the world knows it has received benefits in this life from Christ, why not go ahead and get all the benefits? Why not put your faith in Him and believe in Him so that you can have eternal blessing and salvation? What we need to remind the world is if Jesus has done you this much good with you not submitting to his reign, how much more do you think he will give you when you sign on for the whole package? Why not just come to him and be saved? 
If these are the crumbs from the table, what is the feast like? Come in. Come in and receive. For people have to remember Jesus will be glorified by all. But he saves only those who believe in him. This glory by all reminds us that glory is central to understanding the role God has given his Christ. Because you see, the Lord has established Christ for his glory. The Lord has established Christ for his glory. What did David do with all the spoil he received from war? Gold, silver, bronze. We're told a massive amount of bronze. What did he do? He dedicated it to the Lord. And we actually know from Chronicles that the bronze was used to build part of the temple. There were bronze pillars and a bronze sea. And this massive quantity of bronze, we read later that the bronze used in the temple was so great they just didn't count it. They stopped measuring. They're like, eh, just throw bronze at it. We have so much bronze, like we have mountains of bronze. Don't even budget it. We don't care. Count the gold, count the silver, bronze is, eh, go ahead. This is valuable stuff, and he had such a mass of it, they just were like, there's a lot. That's the number we're going to use, a lot. When we're done, there's still a lot, so don't even care. He gave it to the Lord, and it was used for the building of the house of God, the temple. Recognizing that all he had came from God, David gave glory to God. Jesus has been chosen by the Father to carry out the Father's will among the people the Father has given to the Son. And the Son displays the Father to us and reconciles us to the Father in the cross that we may know the Father and glorify His name. To love the Son is to love the Father and to glorify the Son is to glorify the Father. John 14, 8 through 11. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Father. If you glorify Jesus, you glorify the Father. If you do not glorify Jesus, you do not glorify the Father because the Father and the Son are one. Did we not just recite the Nicene Creed? Being of one substance with the Father. They are God with the Holy Spirit, the triune God. As believers... Our hearts should be overflowing with love to the Father because He loves us enough to give His Son for us and to establish Him as King over us. 
Our whole lives should be spent in His service and in making Him known to others. And we know how to serve Him. We know how we can live in order to glorify the Son and to glorify the Father because we can look to Christ. Because the Lord establishes His Christ over His people. We're told that David ruled over God's people, establishing justice and righteousness among them. He ordered his court to administer the affairs of the kingdom. Well, Jesus is the head of the church, our king. And he has written his law in our hearts by his spirit and has given us a will to follow him. This is what no king can do, to work from the inside out. Society always has to work from the outside in, training and shaping by social pressure. Jesus puts his Holy Spirit in us, writes his law in our very nature, taking away that corruption and giving us both knowledge of his will and a desire to do his will. Not only that, but he has ordered us as a society, giving us first the apostles, then elders, deacons, and the congregation as a whole. We have the apostles' word in Scripture, the elders to teach it, the deacons to serve the needs, and all the people with their various gifts to carry out the great commission of Jesus Christ. People today keep looking for a perfect society. They wonder, when will we get the political platform that will give us the society we want? I have news for you. Jesus has already given you a society, his church. He has already established his kingdom on earth, and it is expressed in his church. Now, the church is not perfect. I'm not going to oversell this. I know. I've read the New Testament, and I've lived in the church. We're not perfect. But this is the only society established by Jesus himself and ordered by Jesus himself and given commands by Jesus himself. This is it. We are the only institution founded entirely on Christ. And while we are not perfect, we do have the Lord's promise to preserve, protect, sanctify, and eventually glorify this society alone. That is why the church is so vitally important, because this is the people whose God is the Lord. This is the people who have Christ as king. To serve the kingdom, to have a part in this society, one must submit to the king, to his commands and to his order. And to belong to the kingdom to begin with, one must belong to the king. Christ has been given by God, established by God, by power, for his glory over his enemies. He has total victory and he has been given and established so that we may believe in him and then live in service to him. Christ and all his eternal benefits have been given to be received by faith. Come and be joined to Jesus the Christ by faith, that all the blessings of his saving work may be yours today. Let's go to the Lord our God.
in prayer. We hope this sermon has been helpful to you. If you would like more information about the Gospel of Jesus Christ or about Goshen Presbyterian Church, please contact us using the website goshenpca.com where you can find our email address as well as our phone number. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Goshen PCA. Please subscribe to this podcast and feel free to share the good news of Jesus Christ by sharing these episodes.